Good morning. As always, it's my pleasure and a privilege to open up God's Word with you today. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open them up with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 16. That's where we're headed today. 16th chapter of the book of Exodus. Exodus. It's a book aptly named, as it chronicles, of course, the great Exodus, the great departure, or you might say the great escape for the people of Israel from the land of Egypt, where they haven't just been hanging out, they've been slaves. They've been in slavery for over 400 years. That's a long time. And if you know the story, you understand that the Israelites did not simply walk out of Israel on a whim. Slaves do not walk away. Slaves must be freed. And so this great exodus was only possible through great deliverance. So yes, they walked out of Egypt on their own two feet, but with walls of water on each side as they walked on dry land that was a seabed with a pillar of cloud and fire before them. So maybe Exodus is not as aptly named as we think. Maybe it should be called the Great Deliverance because it's a story of great deliverance. God proved in the Exodus that he is a God of great power. And how do the people of Israel, these newly freed slaves, react to all of this? Well, like you might expect newly freed slaves to react to being freed. The text says, when Israel saw, when they saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him. That's from chapter 14. And chapter 15, leading right up to our chapter day in 16, most of chapter 15 is this is the Israelites breaking out into this great, grand, extensive song of worship where they're just heaping up praise after praise to God. And they should be, right? I mean, they just witnessed with their own eyes God's miraculous power. God's power was literally visible to them. It was visibly apparent Recall with me the words of chapter 14, when they saw, right? When they saw, as in with their own two eyes, the power of the Lord. Then yes, it was natural. Might I say easy for them to give thanks to God and to praise him. But soon this would suddenly change when they entered the wilderness. When God's work is visible and obvious to us, it's obvious that he's at work. It is actually easy for us to praise him and to give thanks. Thanksgiving is easy on the mountaintop, right? But what about in the less obvious times? What about when it seems like God's silent? It seems like he's not with us. What about when we're in the wilderness? of our own kind, our own wilderness, when we are confused, when we're overwhelmed, when we don't see any solutions, we don't see any way out, when we feel lost and alone. What about then? What do we do then? And that's what our text is all about today. We're going to see a distinction between how we tend to react as human beings in these circumstances. And unfortunately, that is distinct from how we ought to react in these circumstances. A distinguishment between how we tend to react and how we ought to react. We're also going to see that in the good times and the bad times, our God does not change. He remains a God of great power 
even when he's not currently swallowing the Egyptian army in the sea. Even in the wilderness, God is a God of great power. And perhaps most importantly, we're going to learn that even when we do absolutely nothing to earn or deserve it, that God uses that great power of his to take care of his children. Even in the wilderness. And for that we owe him eternal thanks. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Sound good? Alright, I want to pray for us. And then we'll read the text together. But first, let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to open up your word. And as we do so, we thank you for it. We thank you for the Bible. Thank you for in it showing us what you are like, revealing yourself to us. And that is our prayer this morning, that you would do just that. Reveal yourself anew to us. Help us to see you for who you truly are and to believe that you are who you say you are. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to hold on to that truth you reveal to us as we walk out of this room, as we grapple with real life. Would you help us to hold on to you and your truth? We know we need your help for this, so we ask for it and your help during this time. We pray in the name of Jesus and through the Spirit. Amen. All right. You got your Bibles? Exodus 16. Now, we're, we're not going to read the entire chapter. We're talking about 36 verses here, but we are going to read the first 21 verses, and it still is 21 verses. So just bear in mind, it'll take us some time, but we're not going to rush it. Let's read God's word. They set out from Elim. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near. Before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp 
and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning. And it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Okay, we're going to stop there. There's a lot in there. We're going to get to it. Let's start where our text starts. Verse 1. Take a look at verse 1 with me one more time. It says, They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Okay, so in this very helpful verse, we find two things that help set the scene for us. We have a timestamp and a geographical location, both of which tell us something about the mindset of the people of Israel, where their minds are at in this story. So let's start with the timestamp. We see that it is the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Kind of a mouthful, but we're talking about weeks after, just weeks before this, they were walking out of Egypt. We're talking about weeks after miraculous deliverance from years of slavery. That's what's in the recent rear view mirror. Point being, the exodus was in very recent memory. And I know that some of us have bad memories, and uh, we all know the phrase, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning, which, by the way, if whoever you are saying that, it just means that you, you haven't had a delicious enough breakfast. Uh, you're probably eating grape nuts or, or something like that. Um, the point is, you would remember if you had cinnamon toast crunch for breakfast. The real point is, there, there's just some things we don't forget, namely those things that are either very high or very low, right? Something that's incredibly good or incredibly bad. Those things tend to stay with us a long time, something that we don't quickly forget. So keep that in mind. The Israelites are just weeks away from walking on a dry seabed to safety. Keep that in mind. Okay, now we come to the geographical location. We read, they set out from Elim. So here we have a departure from one place. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to, so we have an arrival at another place, the wilderness of sin. So a departure from Elim and and arriving at the wilderness of sin. Okay, so we should think when we're reading this, if we're just picking it up as we are in chapter 16, without reading the rest of the book leading up to this point. Uh, What's significant about this place, Elim? Well, all we need to do is go back to the 15th chapter, the chapter right before ours, and the last verse tells us that Elim is kind of, sounds like a nice place. I mean, there's mention of 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. Uh, You can imagine that In the desert, out there in the wilderness, no food, no water. A place with 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees is probably 
pretty nice place, kind of where you want to be. And to depart, to set out from that place, might not be the most well-received idea. You mean you want us to go out there into the middle of nowhere? Okay, I guess. Here we go. And if you read the rest of chapter 15, you know that this congregation of the people of Israel has already dealt with the problem of water. That is, they wanted some, and there wasn't any around for them to drink. And so what did they do? They complained. And what did God do? He provided them water. And then he leads them to this nice shady place with 12 springs of water, Elim. He took care of them. But now, in our chapter, they're leaving the nice shady place. And they come to another place in the middle of nowhere, no water, no food. What do you think happens? Verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They grumble. They all complained. So maybe I was wrong, a little wrong at least, about the whole remembering what you just had for breakfast thing uh, and, you know, not forgetting things that are incredibly good. Um, Apparently, that's not on mind for the Israelites right now. How can they go from thanksgiving and praise so quickly to complaining like this? Before we start to pick on these guys too much, we have to understand that for ourselves, this is true as well. That we're also quick to forget. Uh, Our memory tends to be a short one. Uh, And that's because pressing needs, real needs in our lives that that give us an environment of pressure, we're, we're feeling how pressing it is. That threatens to consume us, to overwhelm us, and it makes us forget. Charles Hummel, in his 1984 business classic, called this the tyranny of the urgent. The tyranny of the urgent. I love that title because it suggests that we, we somehow allow what we perceive to be urgent. So not necessarily even what is actually urgent. No, just what we perceive to be urgent to have some kind of control over us. Like a tyrant over his subjects. The tyranny of the urgent. And also we know the phrase, the heat of the moment, right? Uh, often used as an excuse for doing something regrettable because the moment was just so hot. It was so fierce and intense that it somehow took control of our faculties. And we said something that we shouldn't have or we did something that we shouldn't have. But it was just the heat of the moment, Of course, the implication is that if we just stopped for a second, let that heat of the moment cool off, then we would actually think for a second, assess the situation, and make a measured and correct response. But if we're honest, we know that like the Israelites, we don't let that moment cool off. We usually tend to react rashly when our backs are against the wall, when we're feeling that pressure, when we're feeling the tyranny of the urgent, we tend to submit to it. So yes, pressing needs can consume us. And for Israel, there was a real pressing need. It was a real need. They're in the middle of nowhere and they're hungry. And you know what happens if you don't get food, you're going to die. So starvation Kind of a a pressing need. They need food. They're hungry. So in the midst of that real, actual pressing need, they grumble. They complain. The whole congregation, the text says, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. And I put on your study sheet that, that we're the same way under pressure. We're the same way. We are quick to complain. Whether it's with our actual words or whether it's just festering in our hearts, a complaining spirit. We too, we're quick to complain. And unfortunately, because it's going to hurt, as we observe the people of Israel in this text, we're going to be looking in the mirror a little bit into our own hearts when it comes to how we handle being in the wilderness, when we handle having our backs against the wall. We're going to look at five tendencies of our heart when it comes to dealing with truly hard times. And they're all, of course, from our text. 
tendencies that we're going to see pop up in the people of Israel that if we're honest, if we're really honest, we can see in our own hearts as well. So you ready? Let's take a look in the mirror. First tendency. We've already covered it a little bit some. That is in the hard times we tend to forget what God has just done for us. We tend to forget what God has already done for us in the past. The whole congregation of the people of Israel, the same people who just weeks ago sang praises to their mighty deliverer who brought them out of the land of Egypt and slavery, now grumble for how he has taken care of them. That deliverance is far from their mind in this moment. They've already forgotten what just happened. Now, of course, none of us have exactly walked across a a dry seabed before, but before you, if you count yourself... Among God's children, if you are a child of God, then you should be able to point to and remember numerous occasions, depending on how long you've walked with Jesus. Numerous occasions where God has been at work in your life and you've seen it. And because we are people quick to forget all that, the Bible is full. This book is full of all kinds of admonitions to look back, to look backwards, to remember, remember what God has already done for you. Remember who God has proven himself to be. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner, Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord of righteousness, and Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. All these are names that God gives us, reveals to us, about who he is because they are attached to action. Do you understand? God reveals himself through real acts. He doesn't have to do that. He could just tell us who he is. But instead, he shows us who he is through action. And that is grace. He graciously shows us, I am who I claim to be. And he does so again and again. Graciously. And shame on us for when we complain, we are essentially asking God, I need more proof. Further proof beyond what you've already demonstrated that you are who you say you are. God, I need more. I need you to show me more that you're for me and not against me. And no, we haven't actually forgotten what God has done for us. I mean, it it isn't wiped out of our memory blocks in our brain. But in the wilderness, when we're hungry and we're feeling those hunger pangs, when we're feeling the pain, we tend to forget what God has just done for us that morning let alone the, the sum total of the cross isn't here anymore. I just realized the whole first service I was pointing here to the cross. We forget the cross. We forget the sum total, all that God has ever done for us, which of course is beyond our ability to measure. In the wilderness, when times are tough, we're quick to forget what God has already done for us. Secondly, in the wilderness, we are quick to blame others. For our circumstances. We're quick to blame. Look at verse 2 one more time. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Read on. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you, you, Moses and Aaron, have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Do you see the blaming there? The blame game is in full swing. We're hungry. We're out here in the wilderness. And it's most certainly not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. Moses and Aaron, you guys brought us out here to kill us. Do you see how quickly blame becomes ridiculous? And pathetic. Because blame is a way of externalizing what's going on in our hearts, our frustration. But, but it's not a healthy method. Something or somebody becomes our punching bag when really we have no place to be throwing punches in the first place. 
Blame also gives us an excuse to avoid introspection. We don't want to look inside, and it gives us an excuse to continue complaining. If we blame all our problems on others, then we are justified in complaining because we have something to complain about, namely, all you people are the cause of my problems. And if we convince ourselves that problems exist outside of our hearts, then we can avoid that uncomfortable process of assessing, looking inward, and accepting personal culpability. Because when we blame, we try to rationalize or explain away our own sinful hearts. So you can see blaming others is a dangerous game. And we're quick to do it when times are tough. Third, in the wilderness, we tend to have our own idea of what is best for us. We actually have the audacity to think and believe that we know better than God how we ought to be taken care of. Do you hear how outrageous that is? When we complain, our hearts are essentially saying, I deserve better than this. And revealed in that expectation that we deserve better is another expectation that we actually expect to be taken care of in the first place. It is laughable when you realize that we not only expect to be taken care of, but we expect it to be done a certain way. We expect it to be done our way. And in our time, we expect five-star service perfectly tailored to our every desire. And when we want it, we complain because we are disappointed that God is not meeting what we think is best for us. Now, we don't necessarily think like that in our heads verbatim. We don't pray to God, I deserve better God. And if we could, we wouldn't walk down the street to his throne room and and say that to his face. But no, that's essentially what is going on in our hearts. Check out verses six through eight with me. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against who? The Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Notice the repetition of who their grumbling is against. It may have been directed at Moses and Aaron with their lips, but in their hearts, it was directed at God. This is the heart of a complainer. God is not doing a good enough job at meeting my needs. And I don't trust him to get to the point where he is. So then to complain against God is to lack faith in God. To mistrust that he is who he says he is. God, if you are who you say you are, then I would have a better life. I would have a better marriage, a bigger house, a better relationship with my kids, more money in the bank, and on and on. In the wilderness, when times are tough, we tend to have our own idea of what is best for us. Fourth, even when it should be obvious to us, in the wilderness... We can fail, easily fail, to see God's provision, to recognize God's provision. Let's look at what happens in verses 13 to 15. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. The first things out of their mouth is, what is it? They did not immediately recognize what they were looking at. Moses needed to tell them, Hello, 
This is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Now, granted, I understand they'd never seen anything like this before when they thought of bread, which God promised would come in the morning. This probably wasn't what they were picturing. They'd never seen any bread that looked like this. So, so granted, I understand it may be a natural question to ask, what is it? But I think this truth remains. They did not immediately recognize God's provision for what it was when it appeared before them. They didn't say, hey, the bread God promised, or even could this strange looking stuff that we don't know what it is, could this be what God has given us to eat? No, they say, what is it? Because look, we're either anticipating God's provision or we're not. And despite God providing them meat the night before, and despite him explicitly promising bread is going to come in the morning, it appears in the morning the Israelites were not exactly on the edge of their seats. Moses had to explain to them what it was. My son Crosby is going to be turning one this week. And I was so happy when he was born. Because in all my years of going to church and listening to sermons, I learned this about children. They are incredible sermon illustration machines. (laughs) And at 11 months old, he's already produced. And I, I got one for you today. When we put Crosby in his high chair, and we put that little bib around him, Something happens with his legs. They start moving like this, faster and faster, and his, his mouth starts to make noises and his eyes widen. The boy is anticipating what comes next. Because he has learned, even in his limited life experience, that when he's in that high chair and when he puts that bib on, that provision of the best kind is coming And when we put food on that tray for him, he doesn't say, what is it? He's not expecting anything different. I don't need to explain to him what it is. He doesn't say thank you yet, but he partakes. And I'm going to argue that obviously not all the times, but in some cases, we need to be a little bit more like a baby. Uh, We ought to have our bib on, our legs kicking, our mouth salivating, just waiting, expecting, anticipating God to provide for our every need. And we shouldn't be surprised when it comes. In the hard times, though, in the hard times, when we're focused on the pain, we can miss God's provision and kindness when it's right under our nose. And for the Israelites, it wasn't just their failure to recognize the bread for what it was. It was also their failure to see the wilderness itself as a form of provision and kindness. You see, God was using his physical provision to teach them how to obey and trust him. He had them there for a reason. And they didn't see that. More on that later. But first, our last tendency in the wilderness. In the wilderness, we can have a tendency to take matters into our own, our own hands. Instead of trusting God in his wisdom and his power, we turn to our own power and wisdom to provide. Let's see what happens in verses 16 to 20. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. So this is Moses giving, in, giving the instructions about how to gather this bread. Verse 17. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning. And it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Okay. So try to put yourselves in the shoes of the Israelites. You understand 
Moses has told you, given you explicit instructions not to keep any leftovers overnight. But does Moses remember where we are? We're in the wilderness here. We're in the middle of nowhere. There's no food around. We have food right here. You're telling me to just throw this away? Human wisdom would tell you in this scenario, it would be foolish, foolish to throw away any leftovers. It would make complete sense. It would be humanly wise to keep as much as you can. Yes, God says he's going to provide tomorrow, but but what if he changes his mind? What if he doesn't provide tomorrow? Okay, so just as a backup plan, just in case God doesn't provide tomorrow, I'm just going to stash just a little bit away. This is my guarantee that in case God doesn't come through, I will still have bread in the morning. You see, when our, when our backs are against the wall, it's an increasingly tempting to look inward for a way out. Or at least a fallback option, like I said. Just in case God doesn't come through, then I'll be able to take care of myself. And these fallback options, they might seem harmless because they're, they're easy for us to rationalize. We rationalize them under the guise of human wisdom. We cover it up by saying, hey, God helps those who help themselves, right? When really our our trust is in our plan rather than God's. In the wilderness, we can easily take matters into our own hands. Okay, so there's our hard look in the mirror. Five tendencies, five tendencies of our heart when we find ourselves in a tough spot. And there's one thing at the heart of all these tendencies, That's a lack of faith. A lack of faith in God. A heart that is not taking God at his word. A heart that is not trusting God to provide. And beware of taking that lightly. A lack of faith in God's word is disobedience. But in this lesson about what not to do, right? We've taken a hard look in the mirror about how we fail. There has to be a flip side, right? There has to be an alternative of what we ought to do. And I put on your study sheet there that I believe the appropriate alternative is lament when we find ourselves specifically in the wilderness, when things are tough. What we should be doing instead of complaining is lamenting. And Pastor Jay gave us a great rundown in last week's sermon about lament. If you haven't heard it, you need to. Because it's fitting for us to think through lament, to practice lament, to know how to lament, because we're in a world that is very lamentable. It's broken. I don't know if you knew this or not, but this isn't the promised land. We're, we're in the wilderness. And in all of our individual lives as well, we, we come to our own wildernesses as well, of our own kind. And so we need to know, as followers of Jesus, how we can lament so that we don't complain. Lament is a very different thing. It acknowledges reality. And I think that's very important because the reality is the wilderness is not fun. It's a hard place to be. It's not fun to lose your job. It's not fun to lose a loved one to receive a bad diagnosis, to battle depression, to be on the wrong end of injustice, whatever it might be. The wilderness is a hard place to be. And trusting God does not mean that we have to pretend that everything is okay when it just isn't. Do you get that? Because sometimes we mistakenly think that because we believe and know that God is sovereign, that means we need to view every situation with these rose-colored glasses. But trusting God is sovereign doesn't mean we need to deny reality and just pretend everything's hunky-dory when it, when it just isn't. Now, that doesn't mean we get a free pass to grumble, but it does mean we can be real. And honest when we come to God and we can come to him with with questions and real doubt 
in the midst, in the thick of our confusion and pain, we can come to God and we should go to God because we do so in the context of a relationship with him, in the context of trusting him, trusting that he is who he says he is and that he is going to take care of us even when we don't see how. And I put on your study sheet there that we should also come to him in the hard times with even, yes, even thanksgiving in our hearts. And that's an aspect of lament. Thanksgiving. How can this be? You might say, Ben, you you just don't understand what I'm going through. How could you ask me to give thanks with what's going on? In our coming to God, if we practice thanksgiving, even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't want to, we remember God's faithfulness past. I almost pointed to the cross again. We remember God's faithfulness past and we look forward to his faithfulness future. Our hearts are prompted to remember, to look back, to remember that God is who he says he is and he's proved, proven that over and over again and none more than at the cross. If there was a cross here, I'd point to it. So thankfulness can be a powerful practice for us. And I, I encourage you to, to look to the Psalms. The lament Psalms that Jay referred to last week are great examples where thanksgiving is included. It's interwoven with lament. At the same time, the psalmists are crying out to God in anguish and confusion and pain. They're also giving him thanks because they're trying to remember that they can trust God, that he is who he says he is. So the act of giving thanks, even when we don't feel like it, it can lead our hearts into true gratefulness and trust. It can strengthen our faith. So practice thanksgiving. Another helpful aspect of thanksgiving is this acknowledgement. It's the acknowledgement that we don't deserve what God has given. Do you know that? We don't deserve what God has given. The Israelites, of course, had done absolutely nothing in this text to earn or deserve God's provision of bread. They don't deserve anything except maybe a timeout. Put that on your study sheet there. I put on your study sheet that God was about to give them a very long time out of sorts. 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Still, even in the face of grumbling, even in the Israelites' 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God continues to graciously provide and take care of his people. Any and all of God's provision is an act of grace. And thanks be to God, he is a great provider. Which also means he is very, very gracious. For that we owe him eternal thanks. And as the great provider God uses his ways of provision to test our obedience and faith, to test our obedience and faith. Look at verse four with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Here's the provision, right? Bread from heaven. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may, what? Test them whether they will walk in my law or not. The word test might make you cringe a little bit because you think of your teacher giving you a pop quiz or a test or something like that. And no matter how you may shudder when you think of that, the teacher's goal, if they're a good teacher, is to educate, right? To teach. And that is God's goal as well. He's not trying to trap us into failing, but to teach us, graciously so, how to trust him and how to obey him. He's teaching us, training us so graciously. And in this story, we see God carefully teaching his people how to rely on him every day. 
Let me ask you something. Why do you think God provided bread that would, as we learn in verse 21, melt away every afternoon? Why didn't he just provide an endless supply of bread? Or perhaps bread that had supernatural qualities that that kept it preserved forever. Or even bread that once you had one bite, you're good to go. Never need to be hungry again. Why, Why didn't God do that? Because he was teaching his people how and who to trust. He was showing them how to daily, how to every single day and every moment of every day rely on him to provide. He carefully, graciously taught these people that in the wilderness. God also shows his grace in revealing his glory to Israel in the cloud. Start in verse 9 here. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then, here's the key part, you shall know, know that I am the Lord your God. God shouldn't need to keep giving us reminders. He shouldn't need to keep proving himself over and over again. He doesn't need to prove anything. Yet, do you see his grace in this? He chooses to reveal himself over and over again. To give us these glimpses of who he is. To strengthen our face and to remind us that he is who he says he is. And of course, we don't exactly get God's glory appearing in the cloud like it did for Israel here. But I do think, I believe, each one of us, We get little glimpses that God gives us. Either his work in our lives or we see his work in this world around us. He shows us glimpses showing us that he is who he says he is. That he is undeniably at work. And he continues all the time to remind us of that if we are paying attention. So be on the lookout. The true beauty of this passage is is not found in the mere physical provision of bread, but in God's commitment to provide for us spiritually. He knows exactly what we need, and he knows it's more than bread. Of course, God understands that we need physical sustenance, of course, to live. But he teaches us that our greater need is spiritual sustenance. And if you haven't figured it out by now, spiritual sustenance, spiritual life, that which our hearts truly long for and that which our heart truly and ultimately needs is not something that we can produce ourselves. It's not something we can find if we search hard enough. It's not something we can get if we work hard enough. True life can only be given by God. In the same way God the Father sent bread from heaven to revive the bodies of grumbling Israel, he would send Jesus from heaven to revive our sinful souls. This story of bread from heaven points forward to the true bread from heaven and the sustenance that we need from heaven, Jesus, who called himself just that, the true bread, the living bread, the bread of life. And he said, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. If you can't see God's kindness and grace in providing bread from heaven, can you see it in sending his son from heaven? This Thanksgiving, if you're looking for something to be thankful for, let it be the gift of Jesus. I don't know what all your needs are in this life, but I do know this, that God has already provided 
your greatest need when he sent Jesus. He already sent the Savior who on the cross bore our sin and our shame so that if we put our faith in him, we might live forever, be forgiven from our sins, be in him, be with him in heaven. I tell you now, there's only one way to be made right with God. Believe in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and you will be saved. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I pray today you do. And for those of us who do know Jesus, there is nothing and no one who we can be more thankful for than our Savior and Lord. And all we need to do is remember, look back to the cross and to the empty grave to know, to know that he will always provide for our every need. By his grace, may we be grateful children, even in the wilderness. Would you stand with me and we'll pray together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning for who you are. We thank you that you are a saving God who invites us, even though we are so undeserving, into relationship with you. We thank you that's possible because of Jesus. For the true bread sent from heaven to deliver us from our sin, from our own slavery, like you delivered the Israelites so long ago from slavery in Egypt. We thank you for this Savior and Lord. We thank you for Jesus. We pray now that you give us grateful hearts so that as we leave this place and we do interact with this wilderness around us, that you help us to trust you, to remember that you are who you say you are, and to give you thanks continually. We know we need your help for this. We ask for it in the name of Jesus and we pray through the spirit. Amen. God be with you as you go.